We thank you for taking the time to listen to this teaching from Metro Church. We hope this inspiring message will empower and enrich your life. You know, I was thinking as a pastor, trying to prepare a message for the church the Sunday following Easter, it's always one of those, well, where do we go from here? Right? Because we as a church have just gone through some of the most climactic readings in the scripture, and we've celebrated, and, and now what? Right? That's kind of that moment. And so I am going to continue this, this thought of finding ourselves in the resurrection story as we read through the story of the days following the resurrection. Uh, and what did the early church do? Because how many know if the origins of the church, if the origins of the early church were about God's business, then what they were doing, we should still be doing, right? We don't just come to church to check something off our list. We don't just come here to be happy and clappy and try and feel better about maybe our bad situation at at, uh, work or at home. We come here to be transformed so that we can be change agents for Christ. Now, if you don't come to church for that, that's inevitably what maturity looks like when we mature to be what Christ has called us to be. Now, that doesn't mean to call you immature unless you've done nothing but help yourself ever since ever. But what Christ has called us to do is to actually be people that make change that affects our world. Isn't that right? That's why he's given you a sphere, a realm of influence. There are people you can reach that I'll never have any influence over, right? But God has put you in their path. And so that's an amazing thing. He's called you. How many people hate that being picked on teams at recess? You know, no one likes being the last person picked. Can I tell you, God picked you for his team. He wants you involved in what's going on on this earth to advance his kingdom. Somebody should get excited about that. So let's go back to, like I said, the church origins. Let's look at what the early church did after Jesus ascended back to heaven and uh, what they began thinking in those moments. And so I'm calling this message, so what now? What now? And so let me give you a little history note. I try and do the preacher-teacher thing. I I don't want to just stand up here and be rowdy and you kind of remember some things. I want to actually teach you some things that are in the Scripture as well, all of it together, right? And so let me give you some history note here. So we're going to begin today. We're going to flip over to the very next book in the Bible after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? We're going to flip past those to the book of Acts. And this is what immediately transpired after Jesus' resurrection and ascension into how the early church formed and what it did. Now, there's, there's uh, a little bit of debate who wrote this book, but most truly, uh, you know, some people will say it was Paul based on the fact that it was written to the Gentiles, but most theologians or scholars would actually say it's, it's really Luke book two, based on the fact that it was written to Theophilus again, and he's actually speaking back to some of the things he said previously. But let me kind of dig down to the root of this. Uh, Acts covers the first about 30 to 35 years of church history. The account begins with the ascension of Christ, which is right around 30 to 33 AD, and runs all the way through about 62 to 64 AD. So if your eyes are glossing over, I'm done. For those that are like, oh, that's what I wanted to know, there you go, okay? And so let's pick up in Acts 1, and here we go. In my former books, Theophilus, I wrote about, uh, or I 
book, singular. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared, appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for my gifts, my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, which we're going to be having water baptisms shortly, if you want to sign up. Info desk right out in the lobby, online. Sign up because we're obeying God's word when we do get water baptized, right? So for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. So I'm going to pause there for a minute because as we begin to think through what now, what now? Okay, like, you know, Jesus is going back to heaven, or he is there now, but I'm thinking in, in, in this moment. So, so what's now? We're called to work with what we know, not stand idle over all that we don't. And this is going to make sense in a minute when I, when I get to the, the first point, but really what I want you to understand is it's easy to just, because we don't have all the information, just choose to do nothing. If you ever, ever had that moment of not having all the information, you would have never finished that Ikea project because they never give you the information, but yet you still figured it out. Might not hold the exact weightage that, you know, the weight that they said, but, but it, you, you didn't just sit there idle. You decided to figure it out, right? And so what I think about when I'm reading this scripture, like, so what now? It brings me to point number one, not all is given for us to know. See, a lot of people will use that as, as the crutch to lean on. Like, well, I just don't understand it, so I'm going to do none of it. I don't understand it, so I'm just not going to. I, I, I'm just going to let that be for someone else. That is not what faith looks like, and that's not what God called us to. So as I'm reading this, I'm having to remind myself, these are the disciples that Jesus has, has pretty much lived and walked and eaten and done all these things for the last three years with all these people. And when he's telling them it's not for them to know, it would be easy being on the inside circle to be like slightly offended, like, hey, you've told us all sorts of secrets. Why can't we know this? We'll come to know that even Jesus doesn't know when he's going to return. Only the Father knows. That's kind of crazy. But if Jesus is okay with not knowing everything, shouldn't you? Nudge your spouse. I'm just joking. Don't. You'll get a black eye. Then I'll have to do marriage counseling. and uh, Let's just stop. So not all is given for us to know. Acts 1, 6, and 7. Again, then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set in his own authority. So unfortunately, I can tell you there's a lot of bickering between denominations over discrepancies or trying to fill in blanks where the scripture doesn't perfectly define something. But we aren't called to bicker over what we don't know. Instead, to work together with what we do know. And so we do know Jesus came to this earth and taught us the ways of heaven right? The love of God the Father. 
and that he created a path back to God himself by overcoming our sin as Jesus went to the cross and overcame the grave. Isn't that right? That's a lot that we do know. So let's not get hung up on all of the little things that we don't know, and let's not find ourselves just getting into argument for argument's sake over the place where it's a little gray. It's not necessarily black. It's not necessarily white. Uh, you know, I've, I've heard it said, like, if I can find it on the page, I'll eat it. Meaning like, okay, I'm going to live to that to the, to the nth degree. I'm going to live God's word. But where God's word isn't exactly perfectly defined, we know that there's actually a conviction that we've got to live by. If your moral compass tells you it's wrong, even if the scripture doesn't tell you it's wrong, it's probably wrong enough for you not to do because you'd be sinning to your own conviction. Are you getting this? Okay? And so, uh, but it's not wrong enough for you to project your conviction on somebody else. If they feel free about something and it's not in the scripture to say it's wrong for them, then leave it alone. Parents, raise up your children. But when they're no longer children and they're, well, I guess as long as they're still living in your house, you can, hmm. As for me in my house, hmm. Okay, so if you're not a child and you want freedom, move out of your parents' house. Um, but otherwise, <laughs> I'm going to leave that one right there. Um, but, but listen, we don't need to focus on the things we don't know. We need to focus on doing what God has called us to do with what we do know, okay? And so uh, we need not focus on um, the stuff that is just causing us to bicker and uh, argue. Look what it says in Titus 3.9. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. So again, let's focus on the things that are profitable. Where does the focus bring us? Let's go to, right back to Acts 1.8. It says, Jesus then goes on to say, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sights. You know, the, the moment where these disciples are saying, hey, is it time? Are you going to restore the kingdom of heaven? Is this when it's going to happen? And Jesus is like, mm, that's not really for you to know. So don't worry about that. He's, he's, he ends up immediately saying, after that's not really your concern, he immediately turns and says, but, what he's saying, this is your concern. This is the thing you should be focusing on. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He's saying, don't focus on the things you don't know about. Don't get tied up on the things you're not going to understand. Don't, don't put all your focus there, but put your focus here. The thing that I'm calling you to, that you have enough knowledge and understanding to move forward in. So if Jesus is telling us not to get hung up on what we don't know, why do we get hung up on what we don't know? Could it be that it's easier to get hung up on what we don't know than actually be accountable to what we do know? See, we think we're really smart, and we try and deflect, and we try and cloak our truisms and reasoning behind things, but most of the time, you have to understand, if you're choosing not to do something that God has called you to do, and you're trying to cloak it in all of this, uh, you know, bickering and all of this misunderstanding about Scripture, you need to know that God sees right through you. Not just it, but you. And he is saying, that's why he calls us children. We're always kids in his sight because we do foolish things, don't we? He's always calling us to grow up. He's always calling us to trust him. 
And if God told us everything, I'll tell you right now, the aspect of faith is doing things in belief and without full understanding, believing that it's going to turn to good because we serve a good father. Right? And so we have to keep that stuff in mind. So again, Jesus says, hey, that's not for your understanding, but instead focus on this. That leads me to number two. The Holy Spirit is given to us because he knows. You may not know, but the Holy Spirit knows. So the things that we don't know, we've got to rely on the Holy Spirit to guide us and to direct us, to lead us. But the Holy Spirit does more than just that. He also empowers us. Out of all the things I don't know about in this life, even when I can't wrap my head around it, when the scriptures may even be quiet towards it or might not necessarily specify it, when I'm having that moment of where do I go from here, I'm reminded the Holy Spirit knows and he is ready, willing, and able to help those who don't neglect him who don't silence him. The Holy Spirit, now I, I understand when we accept Jesus into our life, when we say yes to Jesus and ask him to forgive us and to come into our lives, the Holy Spirit is born, okay? We, we, we have the Holy Spirit birthed in us, but we also read in, in Acts chapter two, which we'll get more into next week, we also read that there is a filling of the spirits, which actually the scripture talks about, and there's a lot of bickering between denominations about it. But I'll tell you, if it's in God's word, if it's in the scripture, I'll eat the page. Right? So like, I'm gonna stand believing God's word even when we can't believe with our minds or understand with our minds. If it's in God's word and God knows more than I do and his ways are higher than my ways, I'm going to trust him even in those pause moments where I'm going, huh? Jesus said this, nevertheless, in John 16, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, see the capital H referring to the Holy Spirit, because the helper is a name, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. See, Jesus had been paying the bills. He had been putting the food on the table. He had been healing everyone was sick. He had been healing people's, you know, mother-in-laws that were sick. And that's true love. You know, like he'd been doing all of this stuff, like, right? And so these people didn't want, they didn't want Jesus to go. Not only was he God and the word of wisdom and truth, but he was also a meal ticket and security and all of the rest. But Jesus was also like, no, it's better that I go so that the Holy Spirit, I'll send the Holy Spirit. When I go, I'm going to send the one that you need who's going to help you beyond what I can do. Do you realize that the Holy Spirit has a different set of marching orders that he is empowered to do for your life? See, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they all have different, uh, although they're one, they've got different uh, purpose in our life, okay? We're to worship all three of them because they're all God, but we have to understand, oftentimes the Holy Spirit is neglected just because he also goes by, okay, the Holy Ghost, and people are like, ooh, ooh. But we don't want to neglect the Spirit when He's the one that empowers us to live the life God called us to live. When Jesus is saying, it's better that I go so that He comes to be able to do the thing He is called to do in your life. If Jesus is saying that, that means the Holy Spirit is called to do something in your life that He's not. So what part of the whole are you missing in your faith walk? Okay, I'll keep moving. 
The big thing to know today is that the Holy Spirit is our present help in time of need. He is available to all who believe in him, and you can still receive him today. So look back at the previous scripture uh, and at what Jesus tells us the Holy Spirit will help us achieve. But then now we're going to go ahead and continue to move forward next. It, it, it says this when it talks about what we can achieve through the Holy Spirit. And you will be my witnesses. Right? We can't be his witnesses without the empowerment, the uh, d- direction, and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Are you still getting this? And so I'm going to continue to move. It's great, though, because I've got no time on the clock. So I'm really just going to go as long as I want today, people, just so that you're all aware. Number three, we are called to be a witness. And again, how do we do that? Because we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to do so. We're called to be a witness. The idea of being a witness can be mocked by modern culture all at once. But inevitably, it is what God will judge us all on. Just let that sit for a minute. See, as a believer, how well I testify to what I've seen God do in my life what I've heard of his character, what I've experienced of his love and his mercy, those are the things that God wants to know. How well am I doing with that? Right? And so you are only ever called into a courtroom to be a witness of what you have experienced, not someone else's version of it. See, a lot of people, they'll say, I just don't know everything that you know, you know, because I'll sit down and I'll I'll talk about it. I'll talk about how I've, you know, uh, as of late, recently, I invited somebody. This is the weirdest story. I'm just going to tell you just because it's fun. I invited somebody to church in a men's bathroom recently. Um, And let me just kind of cue you on this. The the person started a conversation about my shoes. And... um, and then it went from the conversation about shoes to design and then to the shirt I was wearing and then what do I do? And then pastor always is like a mic drop. Like, what do you mean? How can you be that? Wear that, do that, talk to me like that and still be a pastor. And so it just kind of was confusing for all of them. And, and the, so this guy, he ends up handing me his phone in the bathroom and tells me to put in my information And I'm like, what have I done? Literally nothing. I've lived my life. I've been willing to talk to somebody and it turned into Jesus because I always turn it to Jesus. Find ways to take your everyday and be a witness for God. No matter what it is, find a way to turn it back to how God has blessed you. Not quirky and flaky and weird. I'm not looking for the flakes and the nuts to to try and over-spiritualize everything. The minute someone over-spiritualizes something, it actually tells you how lack of spirit they are. Do you hear that? When someone's trying to act the part, that's what the Pharisees did. Okay, I'll move on. Stepping on toes. So, again, the court only calls you in to talk about your experience. So all you need to do is talk about your experience. You know, I preached a message uh, a few years back called uh, Witness. And if you'd like to hear more of that, it digs more into this topic. You can talk to the cafe. But uh, to be a witness, we must stop standing around and staring into the sky, waiting for what's next. We actually have to be on the move. Look what it says uh, in the following scriptures. They were looking intently up into the sky as Jesus was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood uh, beside them. Of course, these are angels. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. 
What is he saying? The, the angels are saying, get to work. What are you doing just standing here stargazing? What are you just staring here, staring, you know, standing here staring off into like, well, well, what next? God already told us what's next. And what we don't know isn't that big of it. Someone, you know, someone goes, well, what do you think about aliens? I'm like, huh, the scripture doesn't talk much about it. Does that mean that they don't exist? I'm not going to go that far. I mean, maybe God, God got bored of humanity and all of our mess ups. He's like, I'm going to do something over here. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. And don't act like you know. Why do we always act like we have to know everything? The scripture says we don't know everything. So get off the hook. God took you off the hook. You don't have to know everything. But what you do know, you need to be a witness to. So I tell people, I don't know. I don't know, you know, what's going on up there. But what I do know is what's going on down here, what God's called us to do here. And I'm going to make sure that I live a life according to the scripture here. Someone goes, well, Chad, what if you were totally wrong? I go, well, I guess I'll have lived a really moral life helping others with, you know, integrity. That's awful. <laughs> Number four, we're called to be in motion. Don't just stand there staring at the sky. Don't just wait for what God's going to do next. Don't just jump in an airplane to run down to the next revival here or there. That used to be a big thing back in the, you know, 80s, 90s, early 2000s. It's like where, wherever God was doing something special, everyone had a plane ticket and they were going there rather than making something special in their region. I'm okay with going down and catching fire, but you better do something when you get back here other than just have a cup of tea with your friends and talk about it. Okay? Because God's called us to be change agents for Christ, not observers of what's happening next. Okay. Number four. Again, we're called to be in motion. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? If we're going to advance the cause of Christ, it's not going to be from standing around. The only pause moment should be when you're on your knees praying about God helping you understand what's next and then get to it. Right? So to advance something, we have to be in motion. Oh, they adjusted my clock. Apparently I have a time now. So number five, we are called to be people of prayer. Just kidding with you, Mitch. <laughs> we are called to be people of prayer. Next time I'm just not going to say anything. Why do I do that? I'm telling myself. Acts 1 continues. It says, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James, the other Judas. Not bad Judas. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Look, we are called to be people of prayer. This was a life-shifting moment. Jesus was with them, then he wasn't with them, and then he was with them again in the flesh when he shouldn't have been, but he was because he resurrected, uh, he rose again, and now he was gone again, but this time they didn't know how long he was going to be gone, but the angels have just told him, get to work because he's coming back the same way he went. And so what did they do? They went and prayed. See, oftentimes we talk about the things we, God, I don't know if I can be what you called me to be. Well, you can't without a prayer life. God, I don't know if I'm going to be able to have the words to speak when, when that opportunity comes. Well, you can't without a prayer life. 
right? The Bible says that the Holy Spirit will give us the words, assuming you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit and that you're in communication with him and would know his voice if he spoke. Are you getting this? This is to encourage us, church, to lean into a relationship with God. He is a real, uh, you know, uh, authority, more than just on a word and a page, but he's actually present. We're in his house. The Bible says we're two or three are gathered in his name. He's among us. We're not just here for theater. We're not just here to be inspired. We're here to have a real encounter with God who really cares about your day, your life, your world, because it's his world. So we're called to be people of prayer. Number six, we're called to encourage one another in what we know. In what we know. You know, and now, now this is a, a step away from just being a witness. This is being iron sharpening iron to the person next to you who may be having a tough day, to the person next to you who may not be coping well with what's going on in the world, to the person next to you who just needs to wake up. Right? The scriptures continue. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. So pause for a minute. Peter's going back to, let's talk about what we do know. Because there are a lot of variables right now. We don't know. I mean, Jesus just left. We're told to get to business. There's a lot of questions. So what do we do? We always go back to what we do know. Let's go back and solidify our stance and our faith and what we do know. So, hey, this was supposed to happen. In fact, King David, he spoke about this. He prophesied this very thing. Judas was going to have to be the one to lead Jesus and betray him. So let's continue to talk about this. With payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field where uh, there he fell headlong. His body burst open. Ooh, and all of his intestines spilled out. That was fun for the little kids. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. So they called that field in their language that it is called the field of blood. For Peter said, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in it. And may another take his place of leadership. So he's referring to what they do know from what David had said in the past, clearly seeing through the help of the Holy Spirit, right? Or just understanding now, I know that we haven't seen the Holy Spirit come in Acts 2 yet, but it doesn't mean that he wasn't already on the move because as far as I'm concerned, uh, these revelations don't just come from ourselves. In the same way that when Peter had that revelation from heaven that said, no, you're the son of God, I don't think he got there by himself. That's all I'm getting at. Are you, are you following me, church? But, but what I know is he's now putting together these prophecies that happen. What we do know, David said this was going to have to happen, and now we're seeing it happen. It's happening in our day and age. When you look in the scripture, we see things happening in our day and age that we go, oh, okay. But Peter began quoting scripture and referring to the prophecies that were being fulfilled and encouraged the believers to continue the work of Christ, allowing the words of Jesus and the prophets to direct them. When you don't know what to go or what to do next, go back to what the last thing you did know. Let it encourage you to start taking that step of faith when you're walking into new territory. Are you getting this, church? Number seven, we are called to raise up others to be a witness. And this is going to have to be my last point here. We're called up to raise up others to be a witness. It continues. Peter says, Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us. 
beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. It's, call, it's our calling as believers and witnesses to help others know the things that God has done in our life. So that, this is really important for you to know. I tell people all the time, you can't talk someone into God because someone else will talk them out of God. I'm not just trying to talk someone in. I'm trying to help them understand what God has done in my life so that God will spur them on to his pursuit. The only reason we ever seek God is because he spurred us on to the pursuit to seek himself. So all I'm doing is trying to drop a breadcrumb trail for the person that I'm talking to to be led to God himself. But God is also doing the wooing. See, somebody can, uh, the, the amount of time somebody has spoken really harshly about God towards me when I'm talking with them or whatever, and I just kind of take a step back. Most of the time, it's the people speaking the harshest that the Holy Spirit's working on the most. And they're trying to shut this thing down because something's going on. They don't understand it. And we fear what we don't understand, right? But we're called to be a witness so, so that this person would become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barabbas, also known as Justice and Matthias. Um, when, uh, then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you've chosen to take over the apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. And so uh, what we end up seeing is that there is a, a, a 12th apostle added back into the mix. But I'm just trying to say, when we look at the, the, the reference point for our lives when we read this story, we're called to be people of prayer. We're called to be people that focus on what we do know, not what we don't know. And we're called to be witnesses to what we do know to raise up other witnesses, to raise up other disciples. It doesn't mean you have to know everything. The fact that you know anything means you know more than that person. So catch them up to what you know. And then keep growing so that you can keep helping them. That's part of what we do. And that's what spiritual growth looks like. So what's next? So what now? Well, when we go back to the beginning and the origins of the church, when we go back to the purpose of Christ, we understand that Jesus came to be what? Light to a dark world. So let's be light to a dark world. John 12 says, I have come into the world as light, Jesus said, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So here we are, Easter Sunday has passed. We're, we're here going, so what, what now? Let's focus on being a light to a dark world. Let's focus on moving and advancing the kingdom of God forward. Let's continue our Savior's work. What was our Savior's work? Luke 4.18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Church, we're called to continue Jesus's work. And I'm thankful that you're here. I'm thankful wherever you are hearing this, that you can be counted in this moment, knowing that God knows you, he loves you, and he's called you for a purpose that's greater than your own. That's an amazing thing to know. Would you all bow your heads and close your eyes with me? God loves you so much. He wants to see your life mean something 
more than just for yourself. He wants to see your life be a big splash that creates amazing ripples that echo beyond you. He wants to see you carry your cross, you to continue to shine in darkness, for you to continue his work. But we can't continue his work without accepting who he is and what he did for us. Last week, we spent so much time talking about what the cross meant and what the empty tomb means for our life. The reality is we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, it says in Romans. It also tells us that the wages of sin, what sin deserves, is death. So because we've all sinned, we all deserve death. But Jesus paid that price. He died so that we could live eternally. But the only way to get yourself off the hook is first seeing yourself on the hook. What do I mean by that? God frees us from the future we're supposed to have, but it's not until we understand that sin is keeping us from God and that actually the cross is, we drove Jesus to the cross with our own sin. It was the death we deserved, he took. But the minute we realize we deserved it, we can ask for forgiveness and receive what he did for us. That's how you get off the hook, by first seeing yourself on the hook. We hope you've enjoyed this teaching from Metro Church. 